If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're now we're number two of this live broadcast. Thank you for rejoining us. Big thank you to our previous guest, a former British diplomat and journalist, author Craig Murray. Fantastic discussion, very important discussion covering the ICJ ruling, what it means going forward, uh, not just for Israel, but for those aiding and abetting it uh, in the genocide in Gaza, um, but also the plight, the curious and uh, tragic plight of Julian Assange, which is coming to a head now, his final appeal coming up uh, in London. As Craig said, he raised the alarm and made the call for people to come out to support Assange, not just in London, but all over the world. We'll give you more updates on that uh, as we get closer to the day. Now, uh, on other news, uh, we want to bring in a couple of other international stories of note and uh, welcome on to the program uh, another guest. His name is Ryan Christian. He is also the founder of The Last American Vagabond, an indispensable piece of the independent media spectrum. He's joining us on the line right now from the United States, I believe from Nashville, if I'm not mistaken. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. Did I get that right? Nashville, Tennessee? Uh, Franklin, greater Frank- you know, greater Nashville area. So close, <laughs> enough. <laughs> close enough, yeah. Uh, Ryan, appreciate you joining us. And uh, uh, we're also following some of your work uh, at uh, TLAV, The Last American Vagabond. On this case of genocide, just want to get your just opening statement and comments on uh, the situation in Gaza, the ICJ interim ruling. If you think that there's going to be some teeth with this, what do you think the implications might be going forward? Russia's also in the dock, very similar case. I know you've also mentioned this. I also want to talk about the very controversial subject of another accusation of genocide, the Uyghurs in uh, Xinjiang, Western China. I want to talk about all of those things, but let's just start with Gaza. Ryan, your thoughts and reflections on on where this is at. You know, I'm, I'm actually pretty hopeful at the moment. I, I actually didn't expect the ruling or the provisional rulings that came out first. I really didn't expect that. I mean, I think we've all become very aware it's it's a very politicized entity, which doesn't mean that there can't be some positive outcomes, but it's very politicized. And to see that they came out and essentially, you know, with, I mean, the way I look at the ruling, first of all, is that or the provisional ruling is that it was in and of itself political, but still a win. Right. I think obviously they recognized if they came out and said ceasefire, which I still think they should have. I still think that was the obvious right thing to do, that that would have potentially had more negative political outcome. So I think they kind of like weighed the options and realized, well, if we by deep by, you know, in effect, ask a demand that they achieve these things, which by default would be a ceasefire, it's sort of the same thing. You know, I still wish they would have come full full force with it. But I think it's a very positive thing. And I think that I never expected Israel to to care at all with what the ruling actually said that they immediately said we don't care it's, it's outrageous whatever but the mm-hmm. win was really about public opinion and i think that it came out and it shoot like a lot of average people that have never been involved in this conversation who just have towed the line about the normal talking points around israel are paying attention to this and they see this they see the united nations they see oxfam they see these groups that we've always been told to look to to decide these things and now all these governments are accusing them of anti-semitism and whatever else so i think it's a really positive win that average people are recognizing that they're that the the israeli government is committing crimes you know and and in regard to teeth 
I, you know, I'm very, I'm hopeful based on that ruling that there will be a positive outcome. I think that most of the judges seem to be pretty aware, at least willing to discuss the, the, the larger points of what's going on. So I do think there will be a positive outcome, but I still think this is a win no matter where it goes forward. I think they've lost control of this and they really can't win back the, the clout that they've had before. So, so from an American perspective, were you surprised by uh, the sort of the, the, the scale of support uh, and, and the breadth of support in the U.S.? Despite all this, there was a lot of intimidation in the media and politically saying that anybody coming out and uh, opposing Israel is pro-Hamas, ergo, they're pro-terrorist, all these people flooding Washington, D.C. Uh, week after week after week. Were you surprised by how the uh, the young generation as well has taken up this this issue like as older or older persons you know of our generation we're used to this issue we we've been living with it for decades mm -hmm. but uh, it's not something that I thought would be at the top of the Gen Z uh, you know list of uh, priorities uh, your your thoughts on on that side of things yeah I, you know I would say I mean I'm I'm surprised to a degree because I I mean I I think we're all a little bit surprised on how much momentum has gotten how much they've lost control of the of the talking points but I would argue that at reason I'm a little less surprised than we might expect is because the way that this all went down here here's the best way to frame this and I think I I I point to Dave Smith and his debate about this where he really laid this out well that's kind of stuck with me since he said this that it had Israel after October 7th, went right to the United Nations and said this was a travesty, this was a atrocity, you know, whatever they, they would have. I mean, with the support they already maintained, they would have been unparalleled. They would have had nothing. They would have gotten everything they wanted. Let's put it that way. Instead, they went full genocide immediately. And so at the very beginning, there was a very difficult time where people were going, you know, I think honest people like us were saying, well, both things obviously matter, right? We have to keep track of all of it. But then it went on and a week and a month. And two months, right? And so you're getting to a point to where people are just like, okay, this is impossible not to see. And had they not done that, they would have maintained all of this control over the conversation. But they they shook people out of that. I don't think they meant to do so. I think it was very belligerent, and you know, it, it was. I think it's based on things other than logic, in my opinion. And so I think that happening made me realize that you know they they shook a lot of average people from this. So then seeing this momentum, I think it just go it goes to show you that that. As people, as the societies, the masses, we really do have a lot of power over the outcome, over the conversation, and they just don't want you to realize that. And so there's also this kind of counter narrative, which we should consider. I don't think is the case that because that's what's happening, that's what they want to be happening. And therefore, it's not, you know, it's kind of like the psychological operation side of it. But I really just believe that they kind of screwed this up. And I think that the average person is aware of it. And so the momentum is justified. And I think and what it also shows you that I think that, you know, Average people would want good things. They want the right thing to happen. And we always get pitted against each other. And this is just an example of them recognizing genocide and they can't stand by it, whether or not they're on different sides of the political spectrum that abuses them, you know? So, so people like us, Ryan, that work in the media space, you know, we're kind of impervious to propaganda at this point. You know, we just like immediately we question everything. Right, um, right. But, but, but the young generation with the onslaught, on this issue like it, they came out the mainstream media were completely closed ranks on this political class closed ranks the young people saw right through it they still came out on the street i mean that's that's uh, that's extraordinary if you think about it because the, the the rhetoric has always been oh it's so easy to brainwash those youngsters but but it doesn't look like it in this case yeah I, I, that, that exact point i want to comment on i think that's so important and this is what i've been saying from the beginning is it kind of the same thing i was describing with israel is that you know it, it very early on was 
all political. Like, so usually in the past, I kind of said this a moment ago, when something like this happens, Biden, U.S. governments, the Western governments will typically say, you know, or rather allude to the fact that we have to trust, you know, the U.S. UN resolutions. We have to listen to what the international community says, rules based international order, right? That's always what's being pushed on us. And then when this started, for whatever reason, and I'm weirdly suspicious about this or not weirdly, I think it doesn't add up for me. And I don't know what that factor is, but the United Nations, Oxfam, human rights groups, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Beth Sell, I mean, they came out across the board and said, this is a problem. What they're doing is genocide. Yes, we condemn over here, but this is really important and serious. And so immediately you had these generations that have been told and taught and, co and coached into always looking to these bodies. And all of a sudden, those bodies were saying genocide. So you have this moment where they're going, time out. I've got all the political sphere telling me that's wrong. But 30 seconds ago, they were telling me to look to the UN bodies. And now they're telling me they're wrong. And so it was this very positive moment of kind of waking up from that kind of illusion. And I, I think that it's going to be really hard to put that toothpaste back in the bottle. I don't think it's possible. I'm talking with Ryan Christian. He's founder of The Last American Vagabond, excellent independent media source. We're going to take a break uh, with TNT, today's news talk. And when we come back, I want to talk to Ryan about the other ICJ case uh, against Russia. Get his thoughts on the uh, conclusion there, or as the next stage uh, might come on that as well. And the Uyghur genocide controversy. We'll look into this story a little bit deeper. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics and whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help their population, populations. We start with a history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes, but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. Turn it up now. TNT. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're still in the second hour of this live broadcast. Thank you very much for rejoining us. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. We see you have a healthy group of people in there. That's where we want to be during the live broadcast. That's where the action is. That's where the commentary, that's where the banter is. That's where the memes are being circulated. You want to be there during our live show. Got a great group of people in there. We're also going to drop a link to Ryan Christian's website, The Last American Vagabond. You also want to follow Ryan on Twitter or X for 
formerly known as Twitter and other platforms where he resides. We'll talk to him about that before we break as well. Bring back Ryan Christian uh, onto the stage. Ryan, the, the, the ICJ, there's another case in there that's not getting as much publicity, but is very, very important in the large scheme of things. I think Russia is defending uh, claims uh, of uh, accusations against it of genocide as well. Uh, your take on on this, uh, the the results so far on this. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I mean, I recently, I think I talked about this last night. I I think I see it as a, an obvious win for Russia. I mean, this seems like a frivolous case to begin with, quite frankly. And the one thing I always preface with this conversation is obviously you can disagree. I mean, if you believe that Russia is committing genocide or committing, rather put it very frankly, if you believe the allegations put forward by Ukraine, despite the fact that they've been proven to have lied countless times about what they claim is happening, even from the highest levels of their government, you know, that's up to you. You can choose to do that. But I think it's clear that the evidence does not support the allegation that Russia has been deliberately committing, you know, I mean, war crimes is something we get into rather specific human rights violations, but genocide, it's really interesting how suddenly the average person has become acutely aware that there are legal metrics to what actually these terms mean. And you can look back and see how frivolously the U.S. government's been throwing that around for so long until now, you know. And so this is an important case where I think the evidence did not meet it. And I think the ICJ made that very clear, very quickly. You know, these there's no... They bottom line, as your audience likely knows, they threw out basically everything except the allegation that Russia did not do like it's own, it's enough due diligence in regard to certain allegations, which I mean, that that's a fair point to make. But at the same time, you got Israel literally claiming openly that they're not going to look into all sorts of things until the war is over. So, you know, it's double standards, you know, so I think ultimately it's a win. And I think that it was that was the way it was going to go, assuming it was going to be an honest engagement. But I, I, th I think Ukraine is coming back and arguing that they want another ruling on whether they're committing genocide on certain allegations. You know, I, I hope this continues to be honest. I also know that that Israel is saying they're going to bring a, an allegation of genocide against Iran because of the statements they make about Israel, which is just, you know, <laughs> they're, they're trying to water this down to make it all seem ridiculous. And I think it's about trying to make it look like it's a biased court by throwing out these cases that make it look like they're leaning towards the allies of what we're otherwise talking about. I think it is just a win for Russia based on the facts, quite frankly. Yeah, because all of these have geopolitical implications, don't they? There's there's powers that are um, basically uh, filing these cases for for certain reasons, either to put mm. pressure on Myanmar, for instance, or uh, on Russia. But the the Israel case just basically forced people to 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 look at more reality, to reprioritize, to to say that some things are frivolous, but this is real, and the amount of denial with the Israeli genocide case from the US and other countries backing it, it kind of puts the whole corrupt, you know, uh, kaleidoscope of uh, international relations into into focus again, because you can really see what their priorities are. Uh, and all these other, as you said, these other filings, there's just nothing there. It doesn't raise yeah. to a standard of, of genocide. So is that that's kind of a silver lining, I dare say, if there is a silver lining to to the tragedy in Gaza. Your your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I I do think that this it's kind of the larger point we were saying before, or the smaller point in a larger you know the the larger point around it that this is this has broken a lot of things, right? And I I really like we should consider and factor in which I know you have the the earlier points about whether there was foreknowledge, whether there was involvement. I mean, we know as even Haretz covered two days after October seventh that they've been openly or 
within their groups funding Hamas for the very purpose of destabilization, you know, but uh, whether or not there was foreknowledge, I think that the way that this was responded to my personal opinion is really just a clumsy reaction by Israel thinking that they have the ability to influence the coverage of what they're doing. And they shot themselves in both feet, apparently, you know, like what they've really done, you can't repair this. And I think that that is that, that positive lining and, and, or a silver lining. And that is one thing that the Palestinian resistance has been saying for a long time, that they act in ways that they know that they're going to suffer from just to try to gain the attention of the world, you know, and, and that is a successful effort of this. And if I could, one point that I think is important to include in that, since we're, I'm talking about the resistance, as I know you've covered as well, is that, is that we have to remember that whether you're, whatever your thoughts on Hamas, whatever your thoughts on the group it is, and remember that there was deliberate funding to maintain this radical element to be able to justify no two-state solution by Israel, that ultimately, regardless, the Palestinian resistance, whether it was Islamic Jihad or Hamas, when acting in, in the, the on October 7th, was protected under international law as armed resistance under the Fort Geneva Convention. You just can't ignore that because it's an occupied territory, right? So that's such an important point. Now, when they broke off, and and which we I think we have to admit they did kill civilians, they did kidnap civilians, those are crimes, no matter how you spin it. Now you can get into, you know, how you feel about it, but those are crimes, so that matters, but it doesn't change the fact that it was a protected act under international law. So that changes the entire conversation, you know? And so average people are suddenly becoming aware of these things, which is now flavoring the conversation of Iraq and Syria and the, the Altamp base that was bombed, not Jordan, right? And all, there's a reason these things all happen. So it's a really positive note to see how many average people are starting to understand these really important lies. And, and that's one of the, the, well, if there's a criticism against Russia in this ICJ case, is that, that legally they should have done uh, the a, a, a few other maneuvers in order to sort of buttress their argument, which they didn't seem to do, which was this uh, idea of a Russian invasion. Because if you think about this, the Donbass, it was being bombarded for eight years. Russia eventually intervened to stop that to, you know, on humanitarian basis or responsibility to protect, to borrow a U.S policy on that and uh and and so when you compare the situation in Donbass I know it's not on the scale of the Palestinian situation but technically Russia intervened so really what's the difference technically between those two situations and Gaza is that uh, there's no Russia coming to rescue the Palestinians in Gaza sadly but that, that's yeah go ahead Ryan well, I'm just going to say, or you could say that, and, and this is going to upset some people thinking we're taking a side, but really just say that Russia's actually doing what the U.S. is pretending to doing in a lot of other locations, which mm -hmm. doesn't, that's not to say Russia good guy in some basic way, but it really is just that they are acting in defense, both of Syria in many cases, as well as what's going on in, in Ukraine. You know, like their, their actions have been proven looking back to be in the defense of their ally, or in, in this case, the defense of people that needed defending and, or, you know, Crimea in the same conversation. Like it's very clear that they're acting in the way that the U S claims to, to justify its actions elsewhere. When it really, you can prove that they're not even remotely doing that, you know? So it's, it's this inverse of reality in so many different discussions we're having about foreign policy. Yeah, it is a total inversion. That's a, that's exactly. I think that's one of the people that are commenting on the Russian uh, the the legal team and that case in the ICJ. They're taking it's turned into an inversion. Basically, mm. they're, they're in the dock for protecting the people of the Donbass and being accused of genocide. I'm going to add as well, Ryan, that this conflict in Ukraine of of a conflict of that scale and magnitude has the lowest, I believe, uh, a civilian to. Uh, combatant ratios in terms of deaths. So, I mean, it's ridiculously low. 
In fact, yeah, I think it is the lowest of its kind ever. I mean, that should tell you all you need to know about uh, how meticulous Russia has been uh, in prosecuting their military intervention, how they right. see it. Uh, I know this is a, an invasion. If you're talking to anybody in the West or Ukraine, Russia's uh, characterized it as a special military operation. But without getting too deep in the weeds there, Ryan, um, the Uyghur genocide talking point is a powerful one in the United States. Uh, the Republicans do not spare any opportunity uh, to bring this up in order to demonize China. And if you challenge the narrative on this, that there is a Uyghur, an ongoing Uyghur genocide, you will also be jumped on and piled on by people on the progressive left who or people from the uh the muslim brotherhood sort of spectrum of the islamic political world saying how dare you uh downplay this great crime against humanity in western china in uh xinjiang how dare you uh the uyghurs are being genocided millions of them are being genocided i'm very skeptical personally of these claims because i have not seen a lot of evidence ryan uh, conclusive evidence to suggest that there is a genocide going on. There's a lot of other things going on there, but I don't think a genocide is one of them. Uh, I know you've also commented extensively on this. Your 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 thoughts on this controversial angle? It's yeah, and as you know, it's it's a definitely a complicated situation, and we should be you know considering all data points while questioning everything as always. And and I think the the point for me, from my my opinion, is first and foremost, I think that you can acknowledge that there are. At, at the simplest case, human rights violations in many cases about, you know, the camps in different places, the way they're being treated. And this in a lot of ways is even at the admission of China, you know, that different terms for the camps they're using, they first lied about and so on. Now, that, that's just a state that I think that's obvious. I think every government of the world is capable and doing them for the most part, most of the ones that we've talked about. But that being said. We have to understand that there's always a lot more going on in this conver in any of these kind of conversations. And I think what we're first of all seeing is that. There's an obvious hypocrisy here, a double standard. And that I guess that's the next secondary point that's very obvious. And it's you can't pretend that this is, you know, like based on what they're framing it as, that this genocide in China is super important. We all have to care and then completely ignore all of the overlaps of what you're seeing in Palestine or, or many other locations. So there's just an obvious hypocrisy there, which first you know, stems some suspicion for me. Then obviously you have to recognize that that, you know, if they're uh, the well, there's another point I was going to make. I just lost on it. But anyway, the, the bigger point is that the ultimately I'm concerned about manipulation from the outside. I think that it's obvious that there is a a MO of Israeli entities of the United States government, Western powers of using radical Muslims, radical Islam to manipulate other locations. Now, just as a simple reality, we know that's the case in certain locations. We know that this has been done, as like we just talked about, in regard to Hamas, that they're funding this entity while pointing at them today as the issue. This is a common tactic, Syrian moderate rebels and all these different elements. So it's on the record by China saying that they believe this is partly what's going on, that these groups are being driven. And then and then you can show that they're doing you know, bombings and attacking and all this different stuff. So based on the logic of what Israel and the United States are claiming about the way they're dealing with these things, you would argue that that's exactly what they're doing, right? So there's this obvious double standard there. But I think what we have to consider is whether that's first and foremost what's creating the situation, which then again doesn't mean that China, you know, it, China could still very well be committing crimes against these people, which I do think is partly what's happening. But oh, and that was the other point is that ultimately then you still have to come back to the reality that there are actual metrics to whether you can use the term genocide. And none of those that I can see are being met. At the very least, you can there's allegations, but nothing proving a lot of these larger claims, which is a lot of the stuff you see from Ukraine, from Israel, same kind of point. 
So if you do think it's a genocide and you're going to compare and call them genocide, and on one side of it, you're demanding all of these certain things be met in court of law, but not on the other, it shows you a very clear political agenda, right? And I think that this is always what we have to see. It's not always that you know none of it's happening or it's everything they claim. It's pretty obviously, in my opinion, the usual today is that they use real things. They use human suffering. They use the plights of these peoples and drive it from the top or, you know, they don't even know they're being manipulated. In any case, I think that's largely what's happening. I agree with you. I think that it's being wildly overplayed, which doesn't mean that there aren't actual crimes being committed, not to the level of genocide that I can see. But I think we really just need to start asking how much of this is being orchestrated by these entities. And, and my, my show last night, I went through some of the connections that I saw. And then these aren't damning main bombshells, but you know that USAID is very clearly funding a lot of these entities, which is, as far as I'm concerned, that's a one of the only things I really need to see these days to know that there's influence there. But you can see some of these Uyghur leaders that are staying today, that they stand with Israel in regard to what's going on with Palestine. It just, none of this really makes sense to me unless there's some kind of undue influence there from the outside. But those latter parts are my opinion. I think the main points are whether it's actually genocide, whether they met that, and you know that this is not even comparable when you can prove with the evidence on hand. Well, the evidence is very, very conclusive that uh, thousands of uh, Uyghur fighters joined ISIS and al-Nusra yeah, in right, Syria right. and still living in Idlib, many of them as well. So, of course, China might have some concern there about this. And there's a breakaway uh, movement there for uh, a Turkestan and uh, Turkish Turkish. Turkestanic Republic uh, as mm -hmm. well. So plenty of things for China to be worried about. But the, the ultimate uh, hypocrisy, Ryan, is that you have Republicans in America who seize on the Uyghur issue in order to kind of demonize China and say the, the Uyghur Muslims in China, and these are the same Republicans that will deride Muslims for just about every other reason they can possibly right. think of to justify the Middle East policy. I mean, it's it's pretty outrageous. But th this is what, more, yeah, go ahead, well, go ahead, Ryan. Just if, which if you have to comp compare, look, look at the images you can see from what they're doing to Palestinians right now with the blindfolds and the, I mean, it's you, you just, and those are the same kind of images you see that they put out and, and cry foul about in regard to the Uyghurs. And it's just such an obvious double standard, right? And as your, to your point that they seem, you know, you can't continue to argue that in any other aspect, the, these elements of Muslims or Islam or, or just, you know, people from these countries are suddenly a threat by default, but then pretend you care when China acts against them in other ways, even if they are committing crimes. It's just all political. I don't think they care about these human lives at all. You're actually insinuating that there's inconsistency in U.S. foreign policy, Ryan. How dare you? <laughs> and hypocrisy uh ryan christian last american vagabond uh give us a shout out before we go to break here about where people can follow you and find your work well first thanks for having me on brother it's always nice to talk with you and i think your work's very important so i hope you keep it up and tlab the last american vagabond.com just the last american vagabond.com is the url that's the best place to check out our work we have a lot of other things, our sub stack and our different platforms, but just going to the main website, and continue to support our work. And I, I do want to give a shout out to Derek doing some great work right now. He's in San Francisco covering the fluoride trial, which if you haven't heard about that, I recommend people check it out. It's it's important. It's a, a bombshell development about the, the obvious that fluoride is dangerous and it's our water and they're trying to keep that from your view. Um, but just the website's where you can find it all. So thanks again, brother. Yeah, that's Derek Bros, right? Correct. Derek, yeah, he's one Derek of the writers Bros. for Lab, as well yeah, as the Derek's Conscious Resistance, which is his, his platform. Yeah, he's doing some great work as well. Ryan yeah. Christian, thank you very much for joining us on TNT Today's News Talk this week. Much appreciated. My pleasure.
There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll drop some of Ryan's links uh, into the TNT chat room as well. Last American Vagabond's website, also X Twitter. You want to follow Ryan there for updates on what he's doing and his team. We're going to take a break right now and connect with our legal correspondent in New York, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press on the other side with the latest from inside the Southern District of New York federal court, the Trump trials. I want to talk about last week's verdict as well with Matt, all this and more coming up. So stay right there. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein continues in Washington, D.C., and something very interesting has just occurred. It appears that Michael Mann has succeeded in putting his hockey stick on trial in Mann versus free speech. Now, this is very interesting because if... Stein's people can get the people watching this trial to understand that Dr. Mann would not reveal how he came up with his conclusions. That should instantly, instantly make it so that this thing should be dismissed. So I don't know if Dr. Mann was thinking, but apparently the hockey stick his famed idea that let's take away the medieval warming period and the Earth's temperature just flatlined and went up like crazy. And it really put him on the map and became an icon for the IPCC. I don't know if he wants this because you would need discovery and the discovery would be, let me see your data. Why should the entire planet simply accept something? Maybe Michael Mann is the most honest guy in the world, but why should we accept his word without looking at the data? So this is going to be very, very interesting over the next few days. And it is a big deal because this kind of stuff going on where people are suing other people for things that are questionable at best, it's got to stop or society will spin out of control. This is weatherbell.com Chief Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I want to Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. We're in the final segment of the final hour, this live broadcast on the final day of the week. And you know what that means. We're going to go over to the Big Apple to talk to our legal correspondent from inside the hallowed halls of the Federal Southern District of New York court system there. Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press has seen it all this week. He's going to give us his take on the latest coming out of New York. Matthew, welcome to TNT, today's news talk. Great. Uh, glad to be here. You're right. There, there is a lot going on. I, I, I think I've heard that you're interested in Trump, so I'm going to start with that. But mm. just to lay down some markers, we're also going to go through Ashley Biden and Amy uh, Amy Harris, who found her diary through Bob Menendez, through Joshua Schulte getting 40 years amid torture in the MDC. And I think from what I've heard, the episode will end as all roads lead with Julian Assange. At least two of these stories point there. But in Trump news, I think we spoke Friday just uh, as it was happening. 
83 million dollars. Oh, actually, we spoke with yeah, 83.3 million dollar verdict uh, by the jury. This it's been a it, it was an incredible. The trial was very fast, about two weeks. Um, many people perceived that the judge was slapping down Alina Haba. There's also some 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 dissatisfaction in Trump world with Haba's performance. I think it's unfair. I think that she was told to be combative, and she was. And the judge slapped her down in front of the jury, and clearly the jury felt that something should be done. I think the the closing arguments were pretty pretty raw, in which Robbie Kaplan said, um, uh, basically, he's got a lot of money. He says that Mar-a-Lago is worth, worth $1.5 billion. Nothing will stop him except a big number. Between you and me, I was actually thinking the number might be bigger. I was kind of like, really, 83? But he's going to, let me just say this, there's another number lurking out there that's going to be quite high. I'm going to, uh, 300 or $400 million. This is going to be the New York state fraud case. It was supposed to have been decided by July 31st by Judge Engeron. You know, you, the Judge Engeron, the famous photographs, the, the weightlifting. Anyway, he's he was, he, he, I don't want to say he pumped out, but it didn't happen on that day. He didn't, hasn't yet provided an explanation, although his spokesman has said sometime in February, earlier mid, because it's going to be a worse verdict for Trump than we thought. The monitor, the monitor of his business has found a non-existent $48 million loan that he listed, she says. So you can just tack that onto the bill. Everyone's waiting for that. I've been getting like, you know, people asking me what's I had to say I'm on alert for that decision. It's basically just going to be a written decision. It's a fait accompli. It's going to be a huge number. He's going to appeal saying, you know, that the whole trial was unfair throughout, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't expect him. Many people are many of the Trump haters are kind of saying that this is, in fact, Nikki Haley among them. Nikki Haley says now she should be the nominee because Trump is going to be devoting all his money to paying these settlements. I don't think he's going to pay the settlements, if ever, uh, certainly before the election. But the numbers are mounting. Whether they'll impact the electorate, I don't know. These are civil cases. So now we'll transition to another one for you. Then we'll we'll stop with the Trump. Trump. The Trump docket's getting, it can fill the whole thing. But hmm. there's the the... the, the the criminal case in Manhattan is coming up. Alvin Bragg has been waiting around. This is the Stormy Daniels case, but it is criminal. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned only yesterday is that Alan Weisselberg, the longtime CFO of the Trump Organization, a loyal a loyal man, if nothing else, a man who served 100 days for Trump in Rikers Island after pleading guilty uh, to, to, to uh, concealing luxury payments, including for his wife to live in Manhattan because she had an eye problem. But I digress. Even after his sentence, and even after he testified for Letitia James about in the in the fraud trial or in the trial, he's being threatened with a perjury perjury count by Albert Bragg, apparently in an attempt to either strong arm him into testifying against Trump in the criminal trial, or the Times says, the New York Times, to send a shot across the bow of other witnesses. Don't play around with Alvin Bragg. Or you're going to be sitting in Rikers Island, you know, where, where no one else is sitting. Everyone else is getting out of jail free. But I also want, I, I what country? Say, uh, what, what country are we in, yeah. Matthew? What what country are, is is this? The United States you're talking about, or is this a, a banana yeah. republic? I think it's overkill. I'm not even going to go political. I'm going to say the guy is 76. You had your bite at the apple. You put him in jail for 100 days. The idea of trying to say. Is ten and, and here's what the testimony comes down to. Here's what he may serve another hundred days in Rikers Island for. And again, I'm not a huge fan of CFOs generally, but he testified at the trial that he really wasn't involved in the overvaluation of Trump's triplex apartment in Trump Tower. 
This was the, this was the whole debate where how big was the apartment? And then Trump has said we overestimated it because we, we included the elevator space. To me, I mean, I don't own a triple <laughs> apartment, but it's credible. I mean, it's it, you, you know, you just take the size of the building and multiply by three. But apparently Weisselberg said he wasn't involved at all. And now somebody has found his emails with the Forbes, you know, billionaire list where he was aggressively promoting the value of the apartment uh, back in 2006 and five. So apparently he lied. He downplayed his role in the triplex. And this is this means go go to jail. So th this is where we stand. There's also everyone's on edge. and You might want to be over there for a D.C. Court of uh, uh, Court of Appeals decision on immunity. I think people are over or overly expected because even if they rule against Trump, and I think they will, they're just given the timing of their various appointments, he can appeal to the Supreme Court. And it seems like Judge Shutkan is willing to shut it. Shutkan is shutting it down. She's already scheduled another trial for April. So this trial does not appear to go. Uh, certainly during before Super Tuesday, Nikki Haley wishes it would, but it's not going to. So, and then there's Fannie Willis. Fannie Willis has the filing due today. This is the Georgia case. Oh, and then there's the Florida case. We can let those go. Nothing's happening except Fannie's now having to explain some unexplained travel with an underlaying, a kind of a romantic uh, um, uh, discrepancy that's led to some slowdown in that case. And in Florida, Trump is pretty much counting on Judge Cannon to, to, to sweep away his case just as he swept away the documents. Now, I do, this is going to connect back up to Joshua Schulte and his 40-year sentence for leaking. Many of the Trump haters have been writing me this week and saying, if Joshua Schulte got 40, what should Trump get for those boxes in Mar-a-Lago? So that people are linking these things. But let me stop there and say, of the, of the Trump docket, how do you, I heard your, your banana Republic response, but what do you think of it? There's more. <laughs> Oh sure, sure. No, no. Yeah. I, th I think. No, uh, I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm done. Yeah, I've, I, I I'm can't. Done. I uh, we got to move on oh. because I think the WikiLeaks uh, angle is very, very relevant with Julian Assange's final appeal coming up in. in, in, in I'm, I'm going to go ahead for one moment as a as a transition during the trial of Joshua Schulte. Um, I put out a, a not as good as I'm doing now a kind of booklet about the trial called Brutal Kangaroo, which was the name of one of the programs that he leaked. The WikiLeaks called Vault 7. It's basically the U.S.'s uh, um, malicious software that could turn your Samsung TV, if you have against you, and also your Apple Watch. It was with some pretty nasty tools. He leaked them. They, according to him yesterday, during his sentencing, they didn't publish all of it. He still has more information, and that's why they're going to put him in a, in a soundless room with loud white noise for the next 40 years. But I do want to say that the Trump Carroll trial here, I, we, I didn't say it Friday because I hadn't done it yet. We spoke last Friday. After that, the verdict came. And I stayed up till midnight and I put out a book. Same day. Same day. But it's not just a book this time, Patrick. It's an audio book. People can look up Trump Trial 2 and you can hear, I kid you not, the entire trial, three hours. It's on Audible. It's on Amazon. And I've gotten some pretty, I, I think it's interesting because it's not opinionated. It's less opinionated than what we're doing here in the, in the hallway. It basically is... You know, with a certain amount, not dramatization, but with a certain artistic editing, the the the, the back and forth between Kaplan and Haba, Kaplan and Robbie Kaplan. And I've tried to say to people, listen to it. I mean, not just so people buy it. It's relatively cheap. But you can make up your decision. It's just like you attended the trial. And this is my new, it's not, it's not an art form. It has a few poems. It has some other stuff in there. But it's basically 
just a trial. And so a person that wasn't able to come to the same can actually just over the course of a weekend, or some people are using it at the gym, Patrick, they're in any event, Trump trial to please take a look. Meanwhile, in, in the sad world of Joshua Schulte, 40 years, 40 long years, he's already served five, so he might still get out in 35 years, but absolutely brutal. The government wanted a life sentence for this leaking and also some child porn. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to use the word on this, these, these august airwaves, but they really doubled down on it. And I, it can be contrasted with Sam Bankman-Fried because in the case of Schulte, his first case, he had a great lawyer, I'm gonna shout her name out here, Sabrina Shroff. She defends all the terrorists and she's a fabulous defense lawyer. She got him a mistrial. They were pissed on some of the charges. They did a second trial at which she was, he fired her unwisely as it turns out. He represented himself at the second trial and he lost, but it was an interesting one. That was the brutal kangaroo trial. They could have stopped there because they couldn't have gotten 40 years just for espionage act. But since they found child porn on his computer, and I, I believe he does have a, his defense is that he was a computer libertarian, that he opened up his vault of his, his incredible cloud space to anyone that wanted to put stuff there anonymously. It's not his problem. They're saying he's a child porn addict. I don't know. He did manage to get it into the jail, so he maybe has some interest in that stuff. But it was overkill. It was overkill because it was just vindictive. It was just to make people, yesterday, as I live tweeted the, the sentencing, people were like, whoa, this is so unjust. This is so crazy. And the moment they unpacked what CP meant, they said, screw this guy. So I feel like the government did it as public relations. But in the case of Bankman Freed, there's still two outstanding charges. There were, at least, until they decided not to pursue them, campaign finance and China bribes. And they said, no, no, we already have enough against him. We can already send him to what we wanted to. We're going to save the government time from doing a second trial. So in one case, they hold off and say, you know, in the other case, they say, we're going to screw you to the wall. And they did. The one thing I want to say about Schulte, and then we'll get into the Assange angle, is he had a good case. He, he spoke for 30 minutes. That's what made the sentencing. Usually people don't. Usually they just say, I'm sorry to my family or whatever. In this case, he said, he said, I'm living torture. This is the worst conditions anywhere in the Western Hemisphere. My lights are on all the time. He mixed it in with things like not getting an MP3 player, which I thought was kind of a, it rang a little foul. But it is truly horrendous. I've even, I've tried to get to the bottom of those conditions because he's not allowed to speak to the media. I thought if you're in jail, you can write a letter to whoever you want. They can read your mail, but he can't communicate with anyone. And, and he brought, but he brought up Nelson Mandela and he also brought up Auschwitz. This was another clanger. People that were in his corner, the moment he started saying, it's like Auschwitz, I'm in Auschwitz, they were like, buddy, you've lost me. Auschwitz people were innocent, you're guilty, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, he could have gotten life, but he got 40 years. And that's a long effing time. I mean, mm. I don't know. Will he get out? I hope so. If medical, if he lives to the average American's life expectancy, he will get out. But whether he will, given that he'll spend 30 of those years all alone in a room in Colorado, with the lights on all the time, as he said in the NBC, washing his clothes in the toilet, just absolutely horrendous. And then to, Assange, to the Assange point, not only is the allegation that he leaked to WikiLeaks, and it seems to have been proved at trial, or at least they say, it's also now given rise to some people from the UK have written to me, you may have heard from them, this is why they do not want Julian Assange coming to the United States, because they're saying this is what he would be subjected to. This is the type of special administrative procedures he would face. So there's that. 
Uh, it was it was really I have to say it was bad. I've gotten some thanks from from supporters of Assange and of you know saying thanks for exposing it. Again, I just tried to say to report what he said. But it's true. This is something where it's better to live tweet than to because if you just write an article afterwards, it's just a footnote. You say this. You have to you have to go through all this explanation that I've just done, and then you say he claims there was torture. I live tweeted every single thing that he said. Some of which I think were stupid or misplayed. But generally speaking, before you serve forty years, you should be able to say whatever the f you want, and he did. And 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 I think it'll you know it'll stand there forever as for whatever purpose. Um, um, but I don't think we're going to be hearing from him for a long time. Well, you're sort of, uh, you know, reinventing, uh, you know, court reporting, uh, Matthew, not only with your live tweeting, you're putting out literally publications, you know, books like in lightning speed. Now the audio books, I've retweeted your yeah, Trump I think too. It works much better. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm, I'm comfortable promoting it here is it really is a new form. I've never, because the federal courts don't allow TV or audio, it's honestly as close as you can get to having been there. It's actually kind of boiled down, sort of if you don't have 10 days in a row to come and wait around during the breaks and go to the cafeteria, you literally, you got the trial in, in three hours. So I wouldn't, I feel comfortable. It's actually, um, it's the quote unquote, you know, product I'm, I'm most happy with, right? Including the song, the songs are one thing, but this is really, and I really do, it's interesting. I, I'm finding more and more that it's fun and I hope useful to really, I'm not playing it down the middle because I'm afraid of being opinionated. I think it's so it's it's interesting to me how people react to the exact same thing. You know, I think like a lot of the court reporting now is people come into sort of virtue signal. They come to say, wow, I'm here. Hobbes, terrible. And that's these are main, this is mainstream outlets. I'm not afraid. I, I can free to do what I want. But I find it fascinating to 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 describe the same interchange between the judge and Hobbes. And have the Trump people say, whoa, the court system is totally corrupt. And have the, the, the Trump haters say, this is great. That's the best judge ever. He's tangent. Uh, only this morning, I covered, I just went to it because somebody told me there's something big. There was no other reporters there. Pre-trial conference in a trial of two women that blocked an abor abortion clinics. They're, you know, they're, they're, they believe their abortion is murder. So they blocked them and they ran afoul of this largely democratic path to act called the FACE Act, that it's a violation of constitutional rights to stop, to you engage in any type of violence to prevent people entering a, uh, an abortion clinic. Now, these women, both of whom are African-American, by the way, claim that they, they, they didn't really do violence. They were pushed into a barricade and led to this, that, and the other thing. But here's the interesting thing. One of the things the government wants to put into evidence about them is that they defaced a BLM, Black Lives Matter mural, in uh, July 2022, so after George Floyd. And the people that were reading what I was putting out were like, yeah, these sound like really nice people, you know, like really sarcastic, assuming that these defendants are white. They're black. I'm not saying it makes it. I'm not saying it. But it's just it's it's just crazy. You know, so I went out of my way, I think, not to I didn't put in the line. They're black. I just I just described what the government wants to exclude. They also want to exclude their religious belief, which I think is an outrage. This whole case comes down to that. But they think that's going to be that's going to like poison the jury that religious people will be for them and therefore they won't be convicted so i'm gonna i wasn't planning on covering this case but i now am because it's it's again one of these issues where i think like people hear what they want you know 
No, and yeah, definitely these these are the important angles, and I like how you link yeah. these things together to the other broader issues, Matthew. Uh, and it does make your reporting a lot more engaging, I think, than uh, what everyone else is doing on these very same topics. So yeah, I'm not trying to choose my horn, but I, I am having a lot of fun doing it. Here's the one thing I'll say that it's going to come to a cataclysm Monday, so it's a preview, but it's it has a comedic angle to it, maybe. Ashley Biden's diary. It was found in a mm. what's sometimes described as a rental sometimes described as a drug rehab in Florida. I'm, I'm leaning toward the second, and here's why. The woman who found the diary and in turn traveled to New York to sell it to Project Veritas for $20,000 is named Amy Harris. And she was indicted for this. And she's facing sentencing. It's been a long road, but she was supposed to be sentenced this week that's ending today. But she couldn't come. She wrote a letter to the judge through her lawyer, who she doesn't want to communicate with, saying that she's sick and had child care issues. She couldn't come. The judge set up a Zoom call, but she Zoomed in from an emergency room, and the judge had to order her to unmute her microphone. Now she's written in and said, I can't come because I don't have my passport. You took my passport, and it's the only way I can get on a plane to come to sentencing. Now, the Trump hater, uh, no, excuse me, the, the, the yeah, the Trump hater said, screw her, let her, let her walk. And the judge is saying just that. She's saying the sentencing is Monday, February 5th at 2.30 p.m. And if she has to take the bus, she better get her skanky, excuse me, you know what up here. So I feel like the woman also might be sort of breaking down. I heard her on the phone and she's like, I'm not saying. I think she she lost her driver's license due to a driving while intoxicated. She's like a regular, she's a regular Florida. I think there's a whole kind of oxy coast over there where like people go to do drug rehab, but they generally fall back into drug use. Again, far be it for me to say, except to say this is going to be a, a conflagration. If she shows up Monday, it's going to be wild. And if she doesn't show up, it's going to be wilder because the marshals, I believe, will be sent out to haul her in. And the whole thing comes down to this diary. Now, the diary famously, to some, mentioned a certain shower. I'm not going to go there, Patrick. You can you can Google it. It mentioned a certain shower, a certain... And so the, 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 the Biden defenders either say it's a lie, it's counterfeit, or they say she stole it, so we shouldn't talk about it. Because, and the, the, the Biden haters say, forget Amy Harris, look at this pedo, look at the jail. So it's again one of those things, you know, it's one of those things. And the, the, the First Amendment issue, this is going to be the grand finale, but maybe, this is leading to Assange. Project Veritas has yet to be prosecuted for buying the diary. But his house, James O'Keefe the third was searched by the FBI, raided and searched. So they're saying he's no longer in the ambit of journalism with what he did. Now, let's be honest. The New York Times published the Pentagon Papers, and this was illegally obtained. So I think the current line is that it's legal to publish stolen information if you're viewed as media. It's legal to publish stolen information, but it becomes illegal the moment you advise your source how to get the information. So, for example, with Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning saying maybe you could hack it this way, if that's what he said. So in the case of James O'Keefe, where he said, I don't know if I can believe this journal was the one. Can you bring me more of Ashley Biden's stuff up from Florida so I can be sure she was really staying there? To me, that seems very journalistic. I'm not very just, you journalistic. Know, again, people have a lot 100%. of 100 percent saying I want to verify this thing. But the, the point to any of your uh, of our listeners and viewers that are in the journalism or republication or inform the public field, this is and you're in happen to be in the United States. This is 
this is the, the bright line test. What bothers me is that mainstream media generally don't like James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. They think they're mm-hmm. right wing, gotcha guys. So all media is gotcha. I guess I look at, I'm not crazy about them, but I, I don't see it as, if, 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 if it's legal to, to, to buy stolen information and publish it, I don't know why it's so different to say, hey, go and get, he, he didn't even say go and get more because he already had the diary. He never published the diary because he wasn't convinced that it was true. But he said, bring me clothes, bring me something, proof of life. And and I think that's, it's, it's. I don't think, that, I mean, who knows? I guess maybe the New York Times, if you were to go to work for them, they train you from day one. Yes, you can pay. They probably don't pay either for stolen information, but that's not the legal distinction. That's the sort of, Elite, you know, because they get they get real whistleblowers. You know, Joshua Schulte, by the way, is not described, and, and this bothered me. And I get a lot of heat for it because they make a big point of saying he's not a whistleblower. He's different than Chelsea Manning. He's because he did it out of vindictive anger at his coworkers. I guess so. Maybe he's not very because he doesn't have a very good PR agent. Maybe from day one he should have said, "No, no, I'm actually." totally against colonialism. I mean, I think there are statements that he's made, such as bringing down the American empire, where you could say he's politically motivated. And people have implied that if he were politically, including the judge yesterday, if he were politically motivated, it would be more understandable. It would be less venal than to, you know, harm American national security just because somebody fired a nerf dart at the back of your head in the CIA office, which seems to be the, 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 the line and did happen. But 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 back so to the Ashley. Over to you on the assignment. But well, back to the Ashley Biden diary. What sure. matters? What matters is if the diary is authentic, and if the contents therefore are is real um, and potentially true. But if it's authentic, every journalist has to vet that. So you need you know. This, this is like, this is redefining journalism in the way that they redefining with Julian Assange, Matthew, to bring it back to WikiLeaks, because they're saying he's not a publisher. He is a fo- hostile foreign intelligence service, and WikiLeaks is uh, not uh, a publication. It's, uh, you know, a propaganda, a Russian propaganda outlet or something like this. So they're, they're, they're redefining. The Journal, right? Yeah, yeah, Russia redefining. The Journal guy is a foreign agent. Doing, I mean, I think he's a journalist, but I also think, you know, again, I don't mean, I'm not trying to get you into that one, but yeah, it's a, I agree. It's a very dangerous, and that's the thing is it's not, I just came to realize it. I didn't realize it would connect back up, but that that's really the issue around this, at least the James, the, the, the Project Veritas side of it. Now, the, the, the Ashley Harris thing is just kind of a freak, it's, I'm not saying it's a freak show. It's a, it's a battle of wills. Here's the thing that people don't know, and I sort of, because I think it's going to drive everyone crazy. The government's not even asking for jail time, okay? <laughs> I think they realize it would look bad. They're not. People think they are, but you're, you're, you're I mean, it's in the court docket, but I don't, I, they're only asking for six months home incarceration. I'm not saying it's nothing, but that's the weird part about it. I wonder, part of me wonders whether Ashley Harris wants to become a, mar- a, a, a martyr of, 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 of the Sleepy Joe, Merrick Garden. Like maybe she's smart, maybe she's smart like a fox. Maybe she's playing chicken with them because ultimately they, they, they I think they realize it looks terrible because here's the real question. Now, the, now many people say, what's the federal crime here? Taking a diary from a drug rehab? Like it's, maybe it's not very nice. Maybe you're not like, you know, rehabby of the month, but she crossed state lines with stolen property. That's a very obscure oh. federal law. And that's the, that's the charge. That's what she pled guilty to. The irony is, obviously, if it had been anyone else's diary, they would never have brought these charges. 
So that's the thing they can't get away with. So if they ask for 40 years, Allah, not 40 years, if they even ask for jail time, but, I, but the weird part is by them not asking for time, I don't know how, because I've seen people writing to me and saying, I hope she gets five years on Monday. They're going to be very disappointed because even if she brings her ass up on trailways, she's going to get the, the six months. Maybe she's going to get a bit more for all these this shenanigans. Of uh, here's, I mean, it, it, this is how comical it is. The, the prosecutor said she better turn in her medical records from that emergency room. So there's HIPAA, of course. So she turned in a selected pages. There's a 19-page report from apparently a half an hour thing. Uh, she only turned in four pages. They won all 19. Yeah. Oh, to be it's continued. For contempt of court. To be continued. To be continued. Matthew Russell Lee, Inner City Press. Great having you with us this week. So much to digest. Really appreciate much, your presence. Much. Hopefully, there'll be a slower week sometime soon. <laughs> we can we can play the play the guitars. You know, remnants. Thank you very much. And a big thank you to Ryan Christian from Last American Vagabond. And of course, uh, Ambassador Craig Murray in the first hour. Fantastic segment. We've had a great program today. We've had a great week. And it's great because you guys are joining us there. Everybody at TNT, our listeners, our audience, thank you for joining us. We'll see you same time, same place on Monday. Take care, you guys. All the best. <laughs>